ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. Hello and welcome to another edition of Parsha Talk. I'm Rabbi Elliot Malam and I'm so happy that you are all here watching, listening, doing your laundry, doing your Shabbos cooking or Shabbos with us with Rabbi Barry Chesler at, from Salman Schechter Day School of Long Island and Rabbi Jeremy Kalmanovsky of Congregation Anshay Chesed in New York City. It's great to see you guys. And we, 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 want to, we want to, it's not dedicated, we want to know with glee the drafting today of two Israelis into the NBA. Um, one is Denny Avdia and the other is Yam Madar. They are going to be Israeli basketball players in the NBA. Whatever. (laughs) It's a a big deal. It's It's, it's like, you know, it's almost as good as a Canadian Jewish kid playing professional hockey in Russia. Like, this is a big deal. You know what? One day there'll be an Israeli playing hockey. Okay, that'll be a big deal. At any rate, we we welcome your your thoughts, questions, um, and comments to parshatalk at gmail.com, parshatalk, P-A-R-S-H-A, talk at gmail.com. And let's get right into it, Parsha Toldot. This is a Parsha that is really rife with so many interesting stories, conflicts, characters. And, and it starts right out from the beginning, giving us the conflict between what will become Esav and Yaakov, the two boys that are born to Rebecca. Jeremy Kalmanovsky, take us into the story, and I want to understand this conflict. I want to understand the characters. I want to understand what's going on here. Go ahead. Oh, there's so much. There's the whole, all of Sefer Breshit is built around incredibly complicated family dynamics, and Parshat Toldot may be the, the apex of that because we have disjunction between spouses and, and the persons of Yitzchak and Rivka. We have parent-child conflict, we have parent-child favoritism, we have brother-brother conflict that almost turns fatally violent. So there's so much that, go, that goes on. Rivka, like every biblical matriarch, is infertile. She goes to God to pray. Uh, Isaac, Isaac prays for her uh, successfully, and uh, she has extremely difficult pregnancy because she has twins. The, the children are wrestling within her. And it doesn't take much to see a kind of a psychological reading of, of within us, the, the different warring impulses and different elements within ourselves, as Rivka in this case is literally holding within herself two people. But that, that, that word of Vayit Rotsitsu, uh, the children struggled within her. There's a lovely Midrash that says that when she would walk by uh, a study house, not that there were so many yeshivas back in ancient. Well, there was the one of Shem and Aver. There was the Shem and Aver had a yeshiva, and it was in Borough Park, Brooklyn. And uh, when she would walk by, um, Yaakov would, would try to get out, and then she would walk by an idolatrous temple, and Aesop would try to get out. So there's the pull in these two people for you know the best of the covenantal inheritance from Abraham and the very worst possibly from from the 
we can address that up a little differently. I'm reminded of Rabbi Mordechai Kaplan, who said that Judaism was a civilization and we live between two poles. And so Esau, in this sense, doesn't recognize, uh, doesn't um, symbolize paganism, but he's secular culture. He would be America. And Yaakov would be Yiddish culture, as it were. And those are the two things that are worrying. And as we know, living here in North America, sometimes we're pulled towards North America, hockey, basketball, baseball, and sometimes we're pulled towards yeshiva, JTS. Which time is that? What's that? I want to just take it. Take it. Go ahead. Sorry, sorry. The, the 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 idea. It's maybe the physical versus the spiritual. That could also be a dynamic here. You know. Rather- I think that's very important because because Jacob. I mean, this is in a sense a uh, a kind of a riff on masculinity. Okay, because Jacob is Ishtam Yoshev Ohalim. He is the pure one who dwells in tents. It, it might be a little bit, what kind of tent? Well, the rabbis will say, as, as Barry said, he wants to be in the tent of Torah. But you could read this in a simpler way and say he's a little bit of a mama's boy. He likes to be with mom. Asaph is a person of the field. He's a hunter. He's a tough guy. And perhaps the reason that Yitzchak, his father, who is a much milder character, not nearly with the boldness of either his, his, his ancestor or his descendant, uh, maybe this reason Yitzhak loves him because Yitzhak recognizes in Esav the macho man that he is not. You well, know, let me and, come in here and give you the verse: "Vayeham Yitzhak et Esav kitzayid befiv." And Isaac loved Esav because he put game meat in his mouth. The Rivka hevet et Yaakov. So here you're commenting on on the disparate loves between uh, of the parents to the children. And and Barry, you want to jump in here? Give me. A yeah, I wanted to make a suggestion that we could see this story as a kind of midrash on Cain and Abel. Esau is Cain. Instead of being a farmer, he's a hunter. And Yaakov is a shepherd, just like Heva was a shepherd. And here we understand why one brother would want to kill the other. Right? That clears up, in a sense, the missing link in the Cain and Abel story, where it's not clear why Cain kills Abel. Here, here it is. But here also, the murder is thwarted. And I'm going to take a a slightly different take on this, which is that Cain and Abel is all about God's attention. And here, I think that this is about the parental attention. I I, I want to put to you this, this, the idea, this, this thesis that, that um, what is, what is, what causes the conflict is the, the parent, the disparity of parental love that if Rebecca loves Jacob, and Isaac loves Esau. What Jacob really wants is the love of his father, and what Esau really wants is the love of his mother. Uh, reflect on that, please. Discuss. Uh, well, so, so I would put one asterisk or at least one question to you, which is, is the conflict between them because of this, this relational dynamic, or, or alternatively, is the racial, relational dynamic and all the problematic qualities of Rebecca identifying herself with, with Yaakov and, and Yitzhak with Esau and then the, the lack that the two of them feel, do, do those things really reflect the characterological matter, which is that a particular kind of, in a sense, we're, we're talking about a particular kind of ideal Jew, 
Jacob, Yisrael, Yaakov, is a paradigm for the descendants in a way that Abraham and, and Isaac are not exactly. Jacob is us. So he is the inheritor, or he's going to be the quote-unquote proper inheritor, because he is mild, not violent, um, bold, strong, but a little softer. And Esav is a bit, there are elements in Esav's character, which we see in the course of the Parsha, which are very sympathetic, but he is also a bit of a buffoon, and he is also a bit of a brute. And, and so I think that the conflict is between the relatively sophisticated and relatively brutish, and from that comes those other relational dynamics. Do you, th you think so, that the, the character precedes the, 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 the lack of love from the mother? So here I, is where I think the character plays itself out. Rivka looks at Yaakov, and Yaakov reminds her of Yitzchak. She looks at Esav, and Esav reminds her of Lavan. And when we see it like that, it's no question why she's drawn to Yaakov, because Yaakov is her choice. Yeah, Lavan is her brother. This, what? This is what bothers me in the story. She's his mother. You, you know, it's like saying, you're, you know, you're, I mean, okay, so we, we have a whole question about what, what, what constitutes unconditional love of, of a parent. Does, is there such a thing as unconditional love? But, Do you think but, there is? Well, I, you, you, we say there is. Obviously, you know, when, you, when your kids disappoint you, it's hard to, to demonstrate, you know, that kind of, you can demonstrate, you know, anger or, or, or disappointment. That doesn't mean you don't love them. You, 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 you hear it, there, there is, it, it, it sense, seems like there's no love lost between uh, Rebecca and Asad. That she, and if you're saying that it's because of her brother, it's just, it's not fair. I feel, it, I feel that, that so, Okay, so I think we all want to buy into the idea of unconditional love for our children. But that's because most of the time we have them one at a time. Yeah. So I remember my mother, of blessed memory, telling me once that when my older sister was born, she couldn't imagine loving another person more than my sister. And then I was born and she realized that love, it's not a pie that you cut into different pieces. And so every piece is smaller, but rather something that grows exponentially. But here we have a set of twins and they're not identical twins as the Torah makes clear in any number of ways. There are fraternal twins. They have different characteristics right from birth. And there it's hard to be, to show unconditional love because we have before us two very different people from birth. And one parent gravitates towards one and one to the other. And I would venture to say that's kind of natural that in fact, to gain that unconditional love is not a given, it's something that is gained. I, I'm not going with you on that on the on the twins count. I do think that the tragedy. I do listen. Speaking as a parent, my own, my own experience. I have unconditional love for my children. Uh, I do not feel any favorites. Um, uh, but I do know that there are tragedies that ha that happen when parents don't feel that way. 
And so, do you know people that don't? I'm not talking about literature now. I imagine you're a rabbi of a congregation. You must see there, there must be families where there is favoritism. Correct. I, I, I've seen different things, you know, when, when the relationship between the parent and the child is strained, especially uh, when the child was a child, uh, the, the child grows up to be damaged. Um, parents who abandon their children. I had one situation where, <clears throat> where a parent uh, left the household um, when the child was three, he was kicked out. And, and the child um, really never, never adjusted in life. And so, so you know, the, the, so here, the here, grace of here is that is that he wants his mother's love, and that everything that he is, that he does, he he does badly, and 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 the, we'll get to it. By the time he gets to the blessing, it's just it's awful. It's a breakdown. But you know. so I don't think he does everything badly. I think he does everything the way that we would expect someone like Esau to behave. And I don't know that I necessarily share. Jeremy, your sentiment that he's a buffoon, I think that there is a kind of grace to him, but it's not a grace that gra everyone gravitates to because he is more vigorous than Yaakov. He is more physical so let, in let me, all that, that means. Let me ask you then to interpret the first story here, the first story, which is the birthright story. So it says that that uh, one day, he was making a stew. Esav comes from the field and he was tired. And then he says, Give me some of that red, red stuff. I'm tired. Therefore, they named him Edom. And so Yaakov said, Sell me your birthright. I'm going to die. What is the use of my birthright? And they Make the deal Okay, Jeremy, let's have your, your take on this story. So this is the, uh, the there's so much, this is, you know, the artistry of the Torah is so, so wonderful. So Jacob is, is stewing up the stew, except that Lahazid, here, which which is being used as stew maker, sounds awfully like he's acting bemezid. Oh. He's acting he's acting in a uh, planfully deceptive. He's, he's intending to sin. All right, so he's starting off with some sneaky bad behavior, and this is going to be you know the whole story of Jacob's life. He's going to commit some deceptions, and for the rest of his life, deceptions are going to happen to him. So there's a midah kineged midah element. But then the buffoon part, so Asaph comes in, he's exhausted, and he does say, you know, I'm going to die if I don't get lunch right now. <laughs> that, that, that's a totally an impulsive child, right? I'm, I'm going to die of hunger. You, I'm going to die right this minute unless you satisfy my immediate need. And so he can't really pay attention to the, to the uh, 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 what's at stake for, the, for all the financial benefits and strength of the, of the birthright if he would hang on to it. But I want to focus on two words, one of which was suggested to us by one of our loyal listeners who happens to be related to, to Rabbi Chesler by marriage. Um, and that is uh, uh, that Okay, is, is 
that that fancy thing, which I know all of our listeners know what this is, a hapax legomena. Hapax legomena. Everyone, can you say hapax legomena three times fast? Hapax legomena means a word that only appears in this form once in the whole Hebrew Bible. And in the um, in the Mishnah, this, the same root is used to mean to force feed an animal. So, so he suggests, so the, this is not, can I have a teaspoonful of soup? It's shove that stuff down my throat right now. So the, the Torah is telling a story of a kind of animalistic guy. And finally, the ask for the food, ha'adom, adom, azah, which, which I think you could, this is what Carol Chesler said. Well, why does why he call it the red, red stuff? At, at, one, at one level, it is about, uh, first of all, he, he came off when he was born. He was very ruddy. He was red. And he represents the people that will be called Edom, uh, who live in Seir, the hairy place. Okay, um, but but it is also like in Hebrew we we, we double up words, um, you know, to be meod meod. So adom adom, it's deep red, it's deep red stuff, um, and it, it also might be uh, his, his expression of his inarticulateness. Just give me the red stuff, uh, something like that, and and it also may be just on a synta- syntactic level. Ha'adom ha'adom hazeh might mean the red adjective, adjectival red stuff noun. The red, red stuff. It, it could be, I, I, I think that this is Jacob's deception. Now, let, me, let me pose this possibility here. Esav is a hunter, but this was not a very successful day because had he had a successful day at, at the hunt, he would not have been uh, so hungry. So he 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 is out there. He is he is waiting. He is setting his traps. He is. And there's no animal coming. And some days are like that. You can go fishing and you can have a day where you don't catch anything. And that's his day. And he 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 wants so much to have something to eat, but he doesn't. And and Jacob is making a gamble. It could be a day like this. And he makes a red, red stew, which is a meaty stew, but it ends up being just a lentil stew. And so he's deceiving him. And so he, he cooks it up for him to draw him into, to, to arouse his appetite and to take advantage of him. And that's how Adom Adom varies. So I want to go in a slightly different direction. So Esau has been out all day. And I agree he hasn't been successful, but he feels pretty good because he's doing what he loves to do. And he comes back and what triggers everything is the smell of the food. And then he realizes not that he's hungry, but that he's tired. And I think that he's responding to his physical needs, what he perceives to be his physical needs. And now he's hungry and that's what's important to him. And his brother, I agree, takes advantage of him because his brother wants to make a trade. And Esau is right. If we take his words at face value, if he is about to die, he doesn't need the birthright. It's not going to go to heaven or Shaul with him. It's going to stay here. But the other part of it is that who says they're going to die? We all have, we use this expression, I could die a lot when we're really tired, but none of us mean it. So I don't know that we should think that Esau actually meant it either, but he was giving vent to the way he felt. Well, does it? What does, does he mean? He clearly it? doesn't mean it though, because he says he clearly he clearly does. I mean, I think that this is this this little detail in the story is here to show 
how impulsive and unreflective he is. Oh my God, if I don't get lunch, that's like you said, right? We all the time say, I'm, I'm about to die of hunger. I'm starving if I don't get uh, if I don't get get some food right now. But he actually acts on this. Okay, so sell me your house, and I'll give you a sandwich. Okay, like that's that's the image of his impulsivity and lack of reflective capacity. No, I, I disagree. Lama ze li bechora. Why? What? What use is my birthright? He he. There there may be some reflective capacity in so it. this. Curiously, this actually reflects Rivka, who makes a similar claim when the two fetai, fetuses, are struggling in their womb. She says, Lama Zeh Anochi, or something like that, right? When she feels the, the pain of the, the boy struggling within her, she says, why do I need this? Yeah, but 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 I, I, I here, well, here I want to get is just like Rivka. I want to be more sympathetic to Esav. Look, we all have children, okay? Some of our children are inclined to certain kinds of things that, that we love, and some of them may not be, okay? I mentioned before, you know, in this picture, Jeremy, you're sitting in front of a library, okay? May, you, have a, you have a set of the Zohar behind you, okay? Maybe your kid is not interested in the Zohar, okay? And your kid says, what use is it for me? I, I've thought about it. I, I, I'm not interested in your life. I'm not interested in any of your library. I'm not interested in your academic life. I'm not interested in your in your rabbinic life. I'm not interested in anything of your religious life. What? Go ahead, take my birthright. Uh, it's plausible. The reason that I don't think this quite works is I understand that that in a sense the two stories of the bechorah and the bracha, the birthright, which which appears to be financial. And the bracha, which which is also not unfinancial, because it's also it's about it's about wealth, but it's also about leadership. So they're really quite parallel stories, and and I think that you know vayochal vayesht vayakum vayelach vayivez yisab da bechora. You know he eats and drinks, he stuffs his face, he gets up and leaves, and he despises the birthright. I think comes to tell us not just pop. You know, you really like music. I just don't like music. I have to find my own way. That's a beautiful story that you told, and a good parent is going to be able to deal with that. I don't really want to study Torah. A good parent is going to be able to have to figure out how to deal with that. But a character who does want financial well-being, as Asaph does, and does want leadership, as Asaph does, and does want affirmation, as Asaph does, loses the access to that because of the hasty stupidity of this part of the story. So I read this very differently. I read that the first four verbs are Esau's behavior. The is the narrator, the editor's comment, placing a value judgment on how Esau behaved, but that's not Esau. And it's certainly not Esau as Esau sees himself. That's how the narrator sees it because he needs... Yaakov to be the hero here, right? If we look at Yaakov's character, and you know, my Hebrew name is Yaakov. I've always been partial to Yaakov Avinu. Um, of the three, I find him the most interesting and the most engaging. Um, but he's not a, a good person a lot of the time. You know, in a similar way, he prefigures David, who is one of the great sinners, but also one of the great repenters. Yeah, Yaakov comes with a lot of baggage, but he's able to work a lot of things out as well. But he's not, he doesn't come off so well here. 
And he doesn't come off well with a blessing either, right? He gets both by deceiving his brother, by taking advantage of his brother. You know, I want to... I want to just add, there's an interesting Midrash that says that, that Abraham had just Oh, now died. Midrash is good. I'm just, <laughs> I use it to my bed. Abraham just died. Abraham just died and that, and that they're preparing a, a shiva meal, basically. And that's what the lentils are. It's a fascinating moment. So, so the, the character of Abraham, while not mentioned in the story, does loom over the story. Here is his grandfather. And, and Esau is like, I, I am not like him. I am not the iconoclast. I'm not this character, and all. And this is the legacy that is being passed down to me. I, it's too much for me. I'm supposed to be the birthright. I'm supposed to be the head of the corporation when my father passes on. I don't want this. I like. I like the field. I like the. I like to hunt. I don't want to be the head of a people. I don't want to be. I just want to be me. You know, I. I'm sorry. I, I have a lot of sympathy for Aesop, not because I, I enjoy the outdoors or I enjoy the hunt or not. I think he, with, when we strip away all the Midrashim from this story, he, he, he's, a, he's, he's been deceived by his brother. He's not loved by his mother. There's a lot to feel sorry for him. Let's jump to the, the second story because we're, we're running out of time here. So the second story... Barry, before the, before we talked, you you said something about Isaac that I think I think our listeners will really appreciate about senses, the senses, and so, Isaac appears here. Go ahead. So many years ago, I led a discussion on this parsha, and it was entitled "How do you make sense of a world with no sense?" Because Isaac is deceived by all five senses in the story where Jacob steals the blessing. He doesn't see, he's described as being blind. He hears the voice of Jacob, but thinks it must be Esau. He feels goat skin and thinks it must be the hair on his son's arm. He tastes sheep and thinks it's game. And he smells whatever he smells, but it's not what he thinks it is. And the question that we're left to ponder is if you don't have those five senses, how can you literally make sense of the world that we live in? He is completely empty, a shell with no echo. What did you come up with? What was the answer? <laughs> well, it was 15 years ago. Who remembers? <laughs> I'd have to go back and find my notes. All right. So let's. But, but, you know, so I would just say. That is a beautiful, just such an insightful, clever, uh, uh, you know, reading about Isaac's weakness. And he's got no sense, okay? He may be traumatized from his losses at the Akedah, but he ain't got no sense. Because whether it is because of the very generous way that, that Elliot interpreted Aesop's pain, um, or or because uh, of the, you know, harsher reading that I have that, that Aesop is just not fit, he he thinks that Aesop's the guy. He, he and, and left to his own devices, he would have hired Aesop to run the corporation, or he would have hired Aesop to, to in fact, be the covenantal partner. And that's just wrong. You know, so we, we, can, we can appropriately feel, um, uh, I think the Torah does a masterful job. You know, every, every Israelite 
witness to this story? Anybody who ever heard this story sitting around the 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 fire in the in the gates of the city of whatever back in in you know three thousand years ago knows that Yaakov is our guy and Esav's the other guy. Yaakov is our team and Esav is our rival. And the amazing thing about the Torah, as you, as you said, Elliot, to strip away the Midrashim, the, the, the Midrashim do the expected thing. They tell the story that our rival is a bad guy. The Torah does the unexpected and wonderful thing of saying that our rival can evoke in us love and sympathy, that we can, we can shed a tear for our rival's pain, which is just, it's just spectacular. So, so to, to make a long story short, can you give us the moment where that, that is really the sharpest? Where, where, at what moment in the story do we... Do we so Jacob, Jacob, directed by his mother, she's, she comes off as a little bit of a dragon lady. She dresses him up in Aesop's clothing. As Barry said, they, they perpetrate the deception. They give him the wrong food and he, and, he, and he takes advantage of his blindness and he gets this blessing and, and he says, uh, Isaac says, uh, I've made you the you know, you're, you're going to be the boss. Um, I've made you the, the master of your brothers. And then Jacob leaves. And of course, just right then, Asaph comes in and uh, says, well, you know, it's me. I'm, 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 I've, I've accomplished what you told me. And, uh, and I'm coming here to, to get your blessing. And Isaac trembles in awe of what realizing what has happened. Uh, you know, we can we can talk about not not right now because we're going to be out of time. We can talk about whether or not Isaac ever actually knew what was going to happen, but um, but uh, he comes in and trembles and says, "Ba b'mirma, your brother has come sneakily, and he has taken your blessing." And and Esav, um, uh, Isaac trembles, great trembling. And he says, uh, I've given the blessing. When I've given the blessing and he has to remain blessed. And Esau, when he hears the words of his father, and he screams a very great cry. And he says to his father, bless me too, father. Isaac says to him, sorry, your brother has come deceitfully and has taken your blessing. And Esau says, this terrible, this, he's well called Yaakov, the, the one who trips over my, who trips me by my heel. He has tripped me twice. He stole my birthright. Now he's taken my blessing. Hello, atzalta libracha? Didn't you give me, didn't you hold back one blessing for me? And Isaac says, well, you know, I've made him your boss now. He's, he's hired. Uh, and what can I do for you? And Esav says, uh, Do you have only one blessing, Daddy? Bless me too, Father. And he lifts up his voice and cries. And if that doesn't just break your heart wide open for the pain of the rejected child. Man, this, this is the Torah's great artistry. But it, it breaks the cosmic heart too, because in the rabbinic tradition, the Messiah will not come until Esau stops crying. This is in the Zohar. Yes, it is. Exactly. And I want to add one other point. that the, the way that you told the story, Jeremy, brings me back to the very beginning 
of the Parsha, when they're fighting in the womb. And the question that's raised by the names and by the description, and later by the, the, the scene when Yaakov has sons by a Tamar, is, is Yaakov really supposed to have been born first? Was he grabbing onto the heel because that was supposed to be his destiny to come out first and something happened and he didn't come out first. And his whole life, he's plagued with the idea that he should have been the firstborn and he wasn't. And now he's taken that firstbornness away from his brother and his brother realizes that he was supposed to be the firstborn but he lost it even though he had it. And there's, uh, I hesitate to say a wonderful irony, but certainly a, a great poignance to the way the story unfolds because in life, we're often struck by this, what should have been and what is. And how we balance the two shapes our own personal destinies as well. And so maybe this is a good place to, to kind of wrap the bow here because we're looking for it at the moment of, of this crisis, the moment where, where the whole relationship is ruptured. But, but you know, spoiler alert, they, they, they are able to, to reconcile and they're able to reconcile uh, out of taking their own, the course of their own lives into their own hands. They, they you know, all the things that were, were set up for them by their parents and all the things that, that happened by the order of their birth, uh, are set aside by their own doing and and they they work through their lives and they manage to 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 make themselves at least somewhat more whole two weeks two weeks In two two weeks we can uh, talk about the reconciliation two weeks well this week's thanksgiving everybody american thanksgiving so a happy thanksgiving. Canadian thanksgiving it's it was already columbus it was Day. okay happy thanksgiving Hey, I got a birthday coming up on, on Friday too. So happy birthday. Oh, do you? Wait, tomorrow? Friday, Friday, next Friday. Oh, next oh. Friday. You know, t- you know what tomorrow is? Tomorrow's Hadassah's birthday. Hey, happy I'm birthday, Dasi. Happy birthday. Well, we are so glad to share this time with you and have a wonderful Shabbat studying, talking. Don't get sick. Be safe, safe, safe out there. Stay healthy. Be safe. And Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat shalom.